What is going on, Restoration family? Hope you are doing well. My name is Nate Huss, and I'm one of the team members here at Restoration. So glad that you could join us. And if this is your first time, welcome. So glad that you could tune in. As we continue to journey through our five-week series of liturgy, this week is week three, and we dive in to confession. Well, hey, if it is your uh, first time with us, uh, thanks for joining us outside. We're in the middle of what we call six weeks of summer, and it's uh, an opportunity just to, to worship, to gather together as the, the body of Christ outside. And as long as you're not in like the front two rows, then hopefully you have some, some shade. And, and thanks for bearing with us. We love the opportunity just to do this for uh, a handful of uh, Sundays out of the year. It's just a blessing to be outside. And if you were with us last week, we were in the second week of our uh, liturgy series. And liturgy is just a fancy word to describe the things that we do together on a Sunday when we gather as the body of Christ, when we gather as the church. And so I kind of made the analogy in our introduction week that If I go to the grocery store without knowing exactly what I should get, I end up spending way too much money and I never come home with what we actually need because I'm not there for, or I'm not there knowing exactly what it is I need. And I think oftentimes that's how it works for us on a Sunday. We just show up without knowing what it is exactly that we're there for. And so that's the purpose of the series, to to discuss and dive into these things that God has given us of, of worship, of God's word that Ron talked about last week, of confession and how we do that every week, of giving and communion. And we're going to dive deeper into those topics Throughout this series, and as Nate mentioned today, we're going to uh, discuss the topic of confession. And I often like to, to do this with words. I like to think about the connotation, the feeling that maybe comes in your heart and your soul when you hear a word. And I'm assuming that for many of you, when you hear the word confession, think about it for a second, what you feel probably is not like happy and joyful and freeing. Uh, But believe it or not, when I think about confession and the song even that we just sang, thanking God that he's always good, the feeling that comes to mind is one of, of freedom and joy. It's less some ancient priest that is calling me to some form of penance to make up for my sin. And it's actually more like Mel Gibson and Braveheart screaming freedom because that is what God has actually provided is a gift. And hear me on this. Confession is a gift that God the Father has given to us to draw us deeper into proximity and knowledge of who he is. And so uh, we're going to spend time talking about that out of Exodus chapter 20 this morning. Uh, to just be frank and to, to put it simply, from cover to cover, the scriptures talk a lot about confession, and they don't just talk about it. Uh, the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, call us, command us to frequently and repetitively confess. And so, I'm not going to spend time uh, this morning talking about whether or not or if we should practice confession. Feel free to just read the book. It'll tell you we should. Instead, I'm going to talk about why we don't. Because for many of us, we don't embrace the gift that confession is. And uh, this morning, I want to talk about four common hindrances that keep us from embracing the gift that confession is. Maybe you're with us every Sunday, and so you're not really sure what's going on when we're doing our our time of confession, which we'll do later today. Uh, Maybe you have no experience with it, or maybe you have a, a 
a bad experience or idea of what confession is from the past. But this morning, we're going to talk about four common reasons that maybe hinder or hurdle or, or keep us away. They're obstacles keeping us from accepting and embracing the gift that, that God has given us. And, and here's the four, and then we'll, we'll break down each. First, we aren't sure what confession actually is, or we are confessing for the wrong reasons. So our motivation for confession isn't actually what, what God says it should be. It's probably the most common reason that we don't embrace confession. The second is we fear that consequences will come after confession. Third is that we can't confess what we don't know is wrong. And the fourth reason is that the reason we avoid confession is not ever because our sin is too great, but on the other hand, it's because our concept, our knowledge of who God is, is not great enough. And that's probably going to be the most important one uh, and the final one that we'll talk about this morning. But let's begin with the first. You aren't sure what confession actually is, or you are confessing for the wrong reasons. And, and maybe you personally uh, fall into this category. Again, confession probably does not feel good when you think about it. You don't think about confessing something and get excited about it most likely. Again, perhaps that's the religious or or spiritual background you have. My guess is actually it primarily has to do with who you think God is, your concept of God, maybe even your understanding of the scriptures, which Ron talked about last week, that this isn't a, a book filled with rules. It's not a holy scantron test to see whether or not you can get into heaven. So study it really well so that you can pass the test one day. It has nothing to do with that. And confession actually has nothing to do with that. Maybe you have some kind of idea of of penance where you, you come and you confess and then you're told, hey, here's how you're going to make up for your sin. Now go do these things and you'll be forgiven. And I want to just make something really, really clear for some of you this morning. Confession has absolutely nothing at all to do with making up for your sin. So if you're gathering with us on a Sunday morning and and somewhere in your heart and your soul, you're seeking to make up for your own sin, just stop that because it isn't going to work. You can't. And that's not the purpose of it. Confession has absolutely nothing to do with making up for our sin. Jesus already took care of that. And that's going to bring us to our second. We fear in confession that there will be consequences after we confess. And that makes sense. And I'm going to be just blunt and honest. Sin has actual consequences. If you murder somebody, you're going to go to prison. If you cheat on your spouse, you're going to pay the price for that in some form or fashion. And at some point, there's just natural, real consequences to sin, any type, any uh, form of walking outside of God's intent. He said, here's the good way of life, the good life. When we don't listen to him, We'll feel that. We'll know the weight of it. But hear this. Confession and consequences actually don't have anything to do with each other for this reason. When we're confessing, we're never telling God anything he doesn't already know. Week after week, as we come before him to confess, we're not telling him something new. We're actually just opening up our hearts to alignment to what he already knows. We're inviting him to be the one that does work in our lives instead of hiding and distancing ourselves and running in the opposite direction. The third reason, the third hindrance is this. You can't confess what you don't know is wrong. 
You can't confess what you don't know is wrong. And, and maybe a simpler way to, to think about that is this. We, we can't know what is wrong unless we know what is right. The, the term sin comes from this imagery of archery, of shooting a bow and arrow and hitting the target. And to, to sin is literally just to miss the target. But, but think about it for just a second. You don't know you missed the target because you hit something else. You know you missed the target because you just missed the target. It's not complicated. You didn't hit what you were supposed to hit. It's the same if a test is being graded by a teacher, or if you remember in elementary school, maybe you graded other classmates' papers, and the only way you know if somebody has the wrong answer is because you're told what the right answer is, and you compare it. Far, far too often, and this is really key, in our Christianity and in our following of Jesus, and maybe you grew up with this, we focus on what not to do. We don't focus on hitting the target. Instead, we focus on things we should avoid, things we shouldn't do, on the bad that shouldn't happen in our lives. And that's not the call that Jesus gives us. That's not the call that Yahweh gives us in the Old Testament. There's a good amount of do nots, but they're always rooted in this, guiding us back, bringing us back like a magnetic pull, like a gravitational pull to the target, which is love. When Jesus is asked, what is the, the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying, here is the target. Yes, there's do nots. We're going to talk about them in a minute. But if you're just focused on loving, on seeking what God desires and designed for us, on seeking the best interest for others in your life, spouse, kids, parents, friends, enemies, neighbors, coworkers, that's enough of a guide. We don't have to focus on all of the do-nots. The do-nots always actually point to the target, which is love. Something that's so simple, yet so hard. Oftentimes in life, the the simplest things are are the hardest. I want to take a second and and read to you from Exodus chapter 20. you're likely familiar with this as the Ten Commandments. God has just saved the, the nation of Israel, real people, from slavery and oppression and abuse in Egypt, and he's about to form them into their own nation, their own people, in a, a land that he had promised to them. But before he gives them that land, he says, here's what life should look like. Here's how to be human the way I made you to be there. And then he gives them uh, the law, and the Ten Commandments are kind of the, the preamble for the law. Here's what we read. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Now, as I read these 10 commandments, don't like try to count them in your head. Rather, think about the picture that God is painting. He's saying, here's what life should not look like. And more importantly, here's what life should look like. And what I'm about to give you, what I just saved you from wasn't just to be saved. It was to live life and the way I designed it for you to be lived. Do not have other gods beside me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's sin to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands." Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the foreigner who is within your gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord God is giving you. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony against your neighbor, do not covet your neighbor's house, do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female slave, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. At first, this just sounds like a lot of things not to do, but if we actually think about what God is calling uh, this nation to, what he's calling us to in the same vein, it's actually a beautiful picture, a very simple picture of what life can and should be. Who would not want that? It starts with being in a loving relationship with a perfectly faithful and capable God, and then it talks about our relationship with others, and it's so simple, again, but so hard. Maybe the the most profound ones are not do not steal, do not murder, do not commit adultery. Those are kind of some some bigger items. How about do not slander, do not covet? We often don't think about the unbelievably harmful impact slander, gossip has, coveting, seeking what isn't yours to be your own. How about Sabbath? Well, what if we actually lived in a world like this, where instead of seven days a week busting it and working constantly, or maybe wanting constantly and seeing advertisements and thinking about all the things that we don't have that we would like to have, or maybe uh, the, the areas of our home that we would like to fix and get together. What if one day a week we actually did this and we practiced it as a body a year ago, but one day a week we rested And not just rested, but we delighted in what God has given in our families, in our friends, in our neighborhoods, and what we actually have that day instead of thinking, what else can I go get? What if instead of wanting what the person next door has, we celebrate the ways God has blessed them? What if we actually sought the best interest of others? Not just sometimes, but with our thoughts, with our finances, with our stuff, with our time, with our space. We sought the best interest of others instead of just thinking of our own best interest. That's love. That's what this target is. We can't confess what we don't know is wrong. And we can't know what is wrong unless we know what is right. So this is the foundation for our discussion on confession. Love is the target. If you don't maybe know how to confess, you don't know what to confess, you can just process those questions. Am I loving? Am I seeking the best interest of those closest to me? Again, with my time, with my space, with my stuff, with my finances, with my, my skill sets? Am I seeking the best interest of my coworkers? Do I even think about that? Am I seeking the best interest of my neighbors, even my enemies? God calls us to love. And so as we week after week have a time of confession and you're, you're processing, is there anything I should confess? The answer is always yes. And second, what do I confess? Where am I stepping outside of love? Because the Jesus we follow is a God of perfect love, and he calls us to follow in his steps. There's the, the first three, and they're, they're fairly simple. We don't know what confession is, or we're confessing for the wrong reasons to make up for our sin. 
Reason two, we fear consequences will come after confession. Again, there will be consequences for sin, but not because we confess. We're not telling God anything he doesn't know. And then three, you can't confess what you don't know is wrong. And the solution to that is just focus on the target. Here's the the last one. And I believe uh, this is by far the the most important and foundational kind of all-encompassing one. And it's this, the reason we avoid confession is not ever because our sin is too great. It's not because you've done too many or too significant of bad things. The reason we don't embrace the gift that confession is is because we don't think highly enough of our perfectly loving, always forgiving God that wants to be with you. That's the gap. That's the canyon. That's the reason we don't take steps to embrace this gift. Exodus uh, 20, the chapter that we are in, right after the, the Ten Commandments, beginning in verse 18. So the next verse actually describes this for us. Hear what we read. All the people of this nation witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountains surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood, here's a, a key three words, at a distance. Hang on to that. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. I'm curious in your life, have you ever had a moment where you just went, God, why can't I hear you? God, I just want to hear your voice. I want to know what steps I should take. I want to know uh, where I should go or what should I do? Why can't I hear you? In this moment, this is fascinating. Israel doesn't even want to hear from God. It's very reminiscent of the beginning, the third chapter in the scriptures, which we talk about a lot. And, and maybe you're familiar with it. Adam and Eve disobey. They, they walk away from God. They say, hey, God, thanks for this plan of life you have. But we think we have a better idea. You and I do that a lot, too. We think we have better ideas than God. Then they know they did what was wrong. Then God comes to be with them, to walk with them. It says, in the cool of the day, when it's, when it's breezy and amazing, and God and Adam and Eve were used to going on walks together. Except this time when they hear God, and then they hear him call out their name, what do they do? They run away from the Father. They distance themselves. You hear the same theme with Moses and God's people. They say, hey, you know what? You talk to us instead of making us hear from him. And it says they stay at a distance. Sin distances us from God. Actually, sin causes us to distance ourselves from the only one that can help, from the one that wants to help because he loves. Moses responded to the people, do not be afraid. The scriptures are filled with those three, four words, don't be afraid, do not be afraid, again and again, why? Because we're often afraid of God. For God has come to test you so that you will fear him and will not sin. And the people remained standing, what? At a distance as Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. It's not Moses' job or my job or anybody on staff's job or elder's job or any person in your life to go communicate to God on your behalf. He's invited you to do so. So the question becomes, is there a gap? Is there a distance between you and God? And if there is, you're the only one that can take the steps because he already opened the pathway. Do you hear his voice calling for you to do that? 
And if so, and you're not stepping into that, is there a fear keeping you from doing so? The, the scripture speaks of two different types of fear, and this is going to be important because what we just read is that the, the nation of Israel was supposed to fear God. That's the healthy, good type of fear we're supposed to have. There's also a deeply unhealthy fear that they actually had that causes distance. And so I want to kind of wrap up our time this morning talking about those two different types of fear. The the first is like this. My my kids will disobey from time to time, and I will get on their case. But there's a very different tone that I take. There's a very different moment when they speak in in a rude and awful way to their mother. And so I will call them to me and there will be a different tone and a different moment and they will recognize it and I will say, do not talk to your mom that way. And in an instant, you will see it in their eyes. There is a sense of fear. That is a healthy fear because they should not talk to their mom in that way. There's this sense of of respect and reverence and what should be. There's a healthy type of fear and we should have that uh, with God. It's not a fear that causes distance. We need to know that this healthy type of fear does not cause distance. Actually, it just reminds us of a few things, that God is all-powerful and that he's all-knowing, but that most of all, he's perfectly loving. That type of fear and awareness of who God is actually draws us in. The second type of fear, though, that Israel was experiencing in this moment, that maybe many of you are experiencing, maybe some of you right now as you're thinking about who God is, it causes distance, not for us to draw near. And I'm, I'm, I'm really hopeful, I got a long ways to go with this, that my kids won't experience that type of fear. But about six months ago, we had a moment where my, my son could have, and, and I want to share this to describe the unhealthy type of fear. I, I don't know if you remember, there was a stomach bug going around like six months ago. Um, and this one was weird. It lasted for three or four weeks in my home. One kid would get it for like three or four days. We'd be up all night. They're vomiting. Then like they'd be good for like three days. And we're like, oh, thank God. This is great. Back to life. And then like two days later, a new kid has it. And you're like, okay, here we go. Three or four days of them being sick. And then finally that goes away. Maybe for like a week. And then the next one starts. I kid you not. Three to four weeks of this. And then the second or third round, one of my kids, one of my daughters got it three different times in like three weeks. And we're like, what is happening? We had a a newborn at that point. She's about three months old. So we're on three to four weeks of the sickness thing. The newborn's here, Haven. And and then my, my daughter was sick two nights in a row. So I've hardly slept at all. I'm exhausted. And then one of my my favorite words to hear is daddy. It's great. It just brings you joy. You want to grab your kids and, and wrap them up. But in the middle of the night, that's the worst word. That is the last word that you want to hear. And it's always said in this certain way. It's like, daddy. You're like, I didn't hear that. But I got really good at hearing that, that word in the, the three to four weeks that this happened. And so it's my son. And I go into his room, and, and he's just this snotty mess. It was this like mixture of disgusting vomit smell and sweat and snot. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? And I'm looking at him, and he's like, I, I don't feel good. I'm like, I can see that. You don't look good. And I'm like, you need to blow your nose. You're going to throw up just because you've got so much snot and mucus there. Blow your nose. So I get him a tissue, and he goes like this. I'm like, that's not blowing your nose. That's wiping snot all over your body. What do you, no, blow your nose. Like, blow everything in there 
out of there so that it's no longer there. Like, I can communicate. This is going to work for you. Give him a tissue. He just goes, kid, what are you doing? He goes, my tummy hurts. I'm like, you need to just, please, for the love of God and everything good in the world, just blow your nose. Hand him another tissue. And he doesn't. I'm, I'm getting angry with no sleep at this point. So Chelsea hears me, my wife, and, and she comes in and she goes, just leave. I've got this. She's been like superwoman, handling a newborn, feeding her up constantly. We're tag teaming with the, the multiple kids. She just goes, just leave. So I'm leaving and I'm angry. I'm like, why can my kid not just blow his nose? And as I'm leaving, I'm not even thinking, here's the door, right? My kid's behind me. My wife's behind me. I just pull back. Poof. Got a brilliant, lovely hole in the wall there. If you walk into my son's room today, you can still see it. I fixed it, but I'm not very good at fixing things, so you can still see where that hole in the wall is. And so I, like, don't even know what happened. I'm like a walking zombie. I'm exhausted. I'm angry. I walk straight out of his room, middle of the night, to the couch. I sit down. I think all the other three kids are asleep. My, my loving wife is with my snotty, tearful son. And I put my hands in my face. And I just start weeping. But why I started weeping is the key. I wasn't mad that I put a hole in the wall. There was a little bit of that, because right when I did that, I'm like, oh, no, i got to fix it now. But I started weeping because of the potential of what that could mean for my son. Not in our relationship. I figured that would be fine. But as many of you know, we often look at the relationship we have with our father our earthly father, and we connect it to the relationship we have with our heavenly father. And for many of you today, for many of our kids now, if you have kids, there will be obstacles in their pathway to their relationship with God caused by their fathers. No father's perfect. That's something to be aware of. And I wept because I started the process. What did I do? What could just happen? And so finally, I I got it together, and I went back in there, and I told Chelsea, I've got this. She's like, no, you don't. I'm like, no, I I really do. It's fine. Go. And I went to, to my son, and I sat on his bed, tears in his eyes, tears in my eyes. I said, buddy, I'm so sorry. I said, that was awful and horrendous of daddy. That's not who I'm supposed to be. I said, Jesus gave me a job, and it's to take care of you and to protect you and to teach you. And I didn't do that. And and Jesus also tells us to be slow to anger. And there's moments we're supposed to get angry, and this wasn't it. And it happened fast, and that was wrong. And I said, will you please forgive me? I am so, so sorry. And he looks at me, and he smiles through the snot and the tears with the bowl next to him in case he vomits. He goes, I know you love me, Daddy. I forgive you. And I just didn't care at that point if he vomited on me, how much snot got everywhere. I figured I would get sick, but I wrapped him up and I crawled in bed with him and I just laid there the whole night. Here's the reason I tell you that. Because there's two different types of fear. And in your life, you've probably experienced, you have an awareness of both. As we read through the scriptures, you need to understand there are two different types of fear. One that is healthy. It actually draws us near to the love of the Father. And then there's another Fear that is extremely dangerous because it distances us from the love of the Father. And if if you've experienced that type of fear, or maybe you're not even aware of it, that it's there, it will keep you from embracing, and hear me on this, the gift 
that confession is. Because when we as the children of God come to confess, he always forgives and he always meets us with perfect love. Not only that, but he's the only hope for us to live into the good life that he's called us to. Now, I want to I close uh, by reading three different passages. They're, they're not super long, but a, a little bit long, so you're going to have to hang with me here, but please do that, okay? Uh, this isn't the moment to, to check out as I start reading. Here's what I want you to listen to. There's going to be a progression, a, a human progression, from that unhealthy, dangerous fear that causes us to distance ourselves from God, the one that Adam and Eve heard his voice and ran the other way. Maybe that's what some of you have done or are doing to seeing the work and love of Christ, to then having a fear that's only healthy, something that draws us near to him with confidence and boldness. Listen to this progression. We're going to start on the left end of the scriptures in Exodus, and we'll end in in 1 John, the the first passage we already uh, read together. All the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. Maybe it's that type of fear that is keeping you from this gift of confession, that's keeping you from the love of the Father. Confession's a doorway to step through to experience the love of the Father. Verse 20, Moses responded to the people, do not be afraid. For God has come to test you so that you will fear him and not sin. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the thickness or the thick darkness where God was. Notice this. They fear God in this moment because they don't know who God is. They've been spending time with the Egyptian gods in Egypt. They don't know the perfectly loving and good character of Yahweh God. They'd go, they're going to go on a journey now to begin to understand him. But the reason they stay at a distance is because they don't know who he is. Now turn to Hebrews, which is the passage that we started this series on. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Listen to the progression again and the shift from this fear. Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. The sanctuary is where the presence of God was in the temple. By a new and living way, he has opened for us through the curtain. That is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, here's some key words. Let us draw near. There's a contrast there from you talk to him and we'll stay here at a distance. Let us draw near with a true heart that's not hiding anything and full assurance of faith because of the work of Christ, not because of anything we can or will do. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship gatherings, as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We move on from keeping a distance to drawing near. Lastly, 1 John uh, chapter 4, verses 15 through 19. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. 
God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. Now hear this, verse 17. In this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, for we are as he is in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, that unhealthy fear, because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Do you see that movement? So as you think about confession, as you think about who God is, are you more prone to say, let me distance myself and I'm going to let someone else talk to this God for me? Or are you drawing near? Satan wants nothing more than for you to distance yourself. And many of us do. I have. I do at times. Because he's really good at distorting our picture of who God is. But may we be a people that draw near. Because through the noise, through the distractions, through Satan's brilliant work, he's brilliant. He's good at it. Jesus stands there. And he invites you to step forward with your worst. That's what confession is. Confession is an invitation to step forward with your worst where you'll be met with his best, his love. Jesus took care of our sins. You have nothing to make up for. You're just coming to God saying, here I am. Lead me because I know you love me. May we be a people that dive in to the gift that confession is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love that goes beyond understanding. I thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice for us, for your work so that we can uh, approach the throne with confidence, knowing that you will meet us right where we're at and that you will lead us in love, that you will guide us to be human the way you've made us to be. God, I pray for each person here, wherever they're at in a relationship or lack thereof with you, that you would overwhelm them with the knowledge of who you are, that there would be no fear because your perfect love casts out fear. And if they have fear, that you would open their eyes to the, the distortions and, and schemes of Satan so that they can see you for who you are. Open our eyes. Holy Spirit, work in our lives so that we can know you because if we know you, we know that you'll change everything. We invite you to do that. We ask you to do that. We plead with you to do that because we need you. We look to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, normally we, we share a time of confession uh, during the first half of our gathering together, but today we're going to do that now instead. And so go ahead and just take a few moments now in, in relative silence to confess. And again, it it's doesn't have to be complicated. Think about that target, love. Are you loving God? Are you loving others? Are you seeking their best interest? Where are you seeking your interest above others? With your stuff, with your time, with your skill sets, and just bring that before him. And know that this Father, this God, always meets us with forgiveness and always meets us with love. Go ahead and uh, take a few minutes on your own to confess now.
Every week we, we say that the only proper uh, application or response to any sermon isn't a to-do list. Um, rather, it's to, to come to the table and if you are a follower of Christ, to partake of communion together. And confession and communion go, go hand in hand. And, and here's why. Confession is never about you promising to do something better. It's never about you convincing uh, yourself or, or telling God what you're going to change. It's just bringing your sin before him. Because what changes is when we come to the table and we recognize that we are united to Christ. We remember the, the body that he gave up, his blood he allowed to be shed on our behalf and that he is with us now. And he says to the end of the age that there's never a moment he's not with us and there's never a moment that he isn't trustworthy. So when we confess, we don't seek to change anything. We just say, here's what I've done wrong. And then we invite you now during this response time or during the next song and in your own timing to come to the table, to take of the bread and the cup and to know that he's with you and he's the one that will lead change and he's the one that instills his love in us. Feel free to go ahead and come to the table and to take communion now and we'll continue to worship together as well. Thank you so much for joining us. We are Restoration Church. And if this is your first time joining us, welcome. We're so glad that you were able to tune in. My name is Nate Huss, and I'm one of the team members here at Restoration. And uh, if you would like to learn more, please go to restorationaz.org. And as always, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus. Jesus.